I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. We're the guys from that film stew, and this is our latest review, Oppenheimer, also known as part two of Barbenheimer. Directed by Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer is the biographical thriller film based on the 2005 biography American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin, which chronicles the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer, a theoretical physicist who was pivotal in developing the first nuclear weapons. The movie is in cinemas now, but if you haven't watched Oppenheimer yet and you want to, go watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. Before we get into it, make sure you subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find us, and feel free to leave us a review. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. So, Jason, what is Oppenheimer about? During World War II, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves Jr., who's played by Matt Damon, appoints physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, played by Cillian Murphy, to work on the top-secret Manhattan Project. Oppenheimer and a team of scientists spend years developing and designing the atomic bomb. Their work comes to fruition on July 16, 1945, as they witness the world's first nuclear explosion, forever changing the course of history, ushering in the atomic age. And damn, that's that scene where when that bomb goes off. I mean, it's bright, it's loud. <laughs> the speakers in that cinema. Ah, chef's kiss. <laughs> I know, but you wait for it though. You, you see it, it. Yeah. then you hear it. Yeah, it's, it's all silent, and then you feel it. <laughs> you, you do. And it, this is a. Three-hour film. This like is bang on. Not the longest. Hours, not two forty-five. Not two. Three hours. Longest hours. film I've seen at the cinema in a long time, and I feel like I mean, it is a good film, but the explosion <laughs> at the end—it's very rewarding. It's like I've sat through this movie for yes. three hours. Big explosion. <laughs> I mean, you say at the end, that's not even the end of the movie. There's still. Like, I know, there's still more. Oh, that must be like cool. two and a half hours. And then, yeah, there's. And I was like, oh, there for the whole three hours. But it's like, oh, there's more. There is, uh, there's more. And, you know, this is not just another film. This is a Christopher Nolan film. He's one of those directors. <laughs> Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, you know, there's certain directors, they put a movie out. And, you know, you've got somebody, an event, yeah, and you've got someone like Steven Spielberg, who's, you know, one of the greats, and it has been, you know, for decades. But it's a different kind of thing when you've got, like, a Tarantino and a Nolan where there's there's time in between films. And, yeah, it it just feels like, like an event. And now more than ever, when it comes to Nolan making a new movie, so who's who of Hollywood? Like, people are coming in and out of frame. I'm like, oh, famous person, famous person. Where do I know that person from? And then there's somebody, like a known actor, that comes in and out of it with no dialogue. And then towards the end of the movie, they have something to say. And it's like, wow, there's so many people, so many oh, recognizable just, people the, in this film. With the, you know, they've, they've got the uh, Truman, the President Truman. And it's like, oh, of course that's Gary Oldman. I mean, Again, you know, another um, you know, veteran of Nolan's Nolan's movies. You know, he's he's been around. I'm going to confess you know, something to you here. The makeup on. You didn't notice? No. <laughs> and then afterwards, I read somewhere <laughs> Gary Oldman. I'm like, where was he in the movie? <laughs> completely, I completely I mean, look, missed him. When I was when I was prepping the show, like, um, you know, I like to have. You know, as as much of a thorough you know list of the cast, so we can reference as we might not talk about everyone, but we might need a name that we want to refer to. It's handy to have it there. I'm going through the list like online, and I'm just like, how far do I need to scroll to get to the bottom of this list? There are a lot of people in this yeah. movie, but look, it's a three-hour epic biographical historical uh, piece. Like that's <laughs> it's what it is. There's there's a lot of characters, a lot of players in in the things that are unfold un- unfolding. But, um, you know, like 
what's interesting, not only is this recounting a time in history or, you know, a period of you know, a couple of decades in history, the story behind, you know, the development of, you know, the first nuclear bombs and all of that, it's, it's not only about, you know, this Oppenheimer guy, but the majority of the movie for the, mo- actually, I'll rephrase it. The whole movie is from the point of view of two different characters. The like the main part, all the stuff in color, is from the point of view of Cillian Murphy's Oppenheimer character. So all the things that we're seeing unfolding, the series of events, we're only seeing what he's seeing essentially. Like when I before I went into this movie, I was expecting I was like, oh look, we're probably going to get some sort of even though it would be ghastly and horrific to see. I was like, look, they might go into showing, you know, like Hiroshima being bombed or, or some sort of thing there, but we don't get that point of view. And I thought that was a really creative choice to have everything that we're seeing from his from his point of view, essentially. It creates not just a historical account of things, but it's a very intimate, personal thing from this character. We get to see how... Yeah, like his journey through it, then the guilt and how he's handling it, his personal stuff that he's going through, you know, like the women in his life, all of that. And then we get these black and white scenes. And I'll admit it was probably about two hours into the movie until I worked out why are these scenes in black and white? And they're all from the the point of view of Robert Downey Jr.'s character, um, uh, Lewis Strauss, literally i was like okay now we're getting because I, I thought i was like oh it's a different time frame it's something that's happening later on so we're sort of jumping forward that's why it's in black and white or it's in the it's a flashback or something and then i was like no now we're seeing the same scene in color but it's yeah from a different angle and i was like oh and it clicked and i was like sweet well like, you're right though the, you son of a bitch <laughs> the common thing flashback black and white but yeah you're right it is sure. From another character's a different point of view, and that's how tight this movie is. And really, storytelling it, it's 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 yeah, it's good. I didn't I didn't realize how much of this movie was actually going to be in black and white because I'd seen screenshots <laughs> and we'd seen the trailers, but sometimes a bit of creative license can be used with the trailers to present things sure, in a certain yeah. way. But you're watching the movie, and then yeah, and after a while, you're like, wow, there's quite a lot of black and white scenes. And interestingly, on that. In order for the black and white sections of the film to be shot in the same quality as the rest of the film, Kodak develops the first ever black and white film stock for IMAX, which is just incredible. I feel like that's like some sort of reverse engineering of moving forward with technology. It's like, but this this IMAX thing, this is a Christopher, it's a Christopher Nolan film. Like, do you know, he's do it, yeah, and and this. How the thing's happening. You know, he said in an interview before this movie came out, and quite a bit before it came out, that there are no CGI shots in this film. And a lot of people got upset with him for saying that because clearly from seeing the trailer, you know, they're not really going to set off a bomb. (laughs) Like there's going to be, you know, but what he's talking about specifically is CGI, which is a fully computer-generated image where clearly VFX is used to remove certain things, but the scene is set. The actor, there's a practical effect. VFX are just going to tidy up that scene. And they're they're touching up and they're... Yeah. And VFX artists... Manipulations. Are credited at the end, you know, because they did work on this film. So a big thing about this film is that there are no CGI shots. That's no longer the case, though. And I've got to think Christopher Nolan's got to be pretty pissed with this. Florence Pugh is in this, and she spends some of the time naked. Several countries... (laughs) <laughs> we all did. Several countries where this film has been released, she's no longer naked. And what's being used is a, she's been covered by a CGI black dress. Oh my God, it's like splash all over again. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like the director like is promoting <laughs> the. That's a weird. That's a weird. Splash <laughs> Disney Plus, check it out. It's weird. Um, 
You're the director, Christopher Nolan. No CGI, no CGI. And then just for it to be released in certain countries, they've had to use CGI. But then what would you rather happen? Not have your film be released in those particular countries or have them use CGI? But he's been working on this for so long. And it's like, and he's been saying there's no CGI in this film. Well, it depends what country you're watching it because there's a dodgy looking <laughs> black dress. On her character. Hey, it might look it might look superb. Who knows? I've seen the picture. <laughs> oh, no good. Okay. Yeah, well, our version's better. Put it that way. Well, let's leave that there. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, what if if we stay on like the special thing? I mean, again, like the, I mean, I guess a lot of what we're seeing, and, and we all know that. I mean, if you're in the know, like you know that there are digital touch-ups and effects used but you don't notice them you don't know they're there and they're the they're the best types of special effects and, and digital effects that you're seeing but i guess like you know when we do see the bomb go off like when they're doing the test and it's that it's that image and it's all you know like i am like because i had heard that there were no sort of cgi effects i assume they had created that in some like a very smaller version of that uh, it, it's some other kind of capacity and then they filmed it. I, I mean, I didn't read or look into it. I just assumed that that's what they had done. But is that a CGI creation, that explosion? Balloons. Wow. That's what they See, used. There you go. That's cool. <laughs> that's, I mean, it looked real, man. Oh, it's like, amazing. It yeah, but then Sound again, it like, felt real. VFX, but the practical part of it, they use balloons. Right. I mean, I guess uh, away from the bomb, you know, like we've got a few characters sort of moving through time and not in a time travel kind of way. They say interstellar, but um, like they're aging, like because we're going through, you know, over a couple of decades. You know, the prosthetics to, to get them looking, I mean, like, I mean, some of them just look kind of weird because it's just like, ah, it's, it's weird seeing them as an old person, but. I think they work. Like, I think a lot of craft and stuff was put into making this look pretty authentic. The set pieces, the setting, the time, you know, like putting a timestamp on, you know, when this is set. I feel like production-wise, all of that looking good, top marks. Like, it's hard to sort of sit here and fault any of it unless you the, say um, something now. <laughs> well, I was just going to say at the end of the end of the movie... I mean, it, like Emily Blunt looked weird as an old lady. Okay, <laughs> I just want to say, like, I, I, I've seen Killian Murphy in many things. I've seen some of, but not all of Peaky Blinders. My wife loves that show, so I guess she's seen him already play a character for such a long period of time. Where I've seen him in, you know, movies that he's done, Christopher Nolan movies, and that one movie, Red Eye. <laughs> uh, was it Sunshine? Sunrise? No, Sunshine. What was the um, Daniel Boyle movie with Chris Evans? It was in that 28 days. Anyway, sure. he's done things. He's been in, yeah, he's around. Yeah. I was absolutely blown away by his performance in this. You know, you're, you're with him through different moments in his life. And, you know, like some actors, it's like, okay, so who am I playing? Okay, yeah, got it. Good. Ready to go. But it's so layered. Like we're getting, you know, we, we really feel like we're spending time with a real person, like going through all his life. And that was just excellent. Like such a great performance. Like it's taken until now for somebody like Nolan to cast him as the lead because this is his film. And obviously it's a massive ensemble, but he's your through line throughout the whole movie. And he's excellent. But when he's really old at the end, there's other characters that have aged with him and i think they went a bit heavier on his old age prosthetics <laughs> it looks a bit rougher than most <laughs> i mean i mean have you seen photos of the real oppenheimer maybe you know like scary looking dude <laughs> that's kind of christopher nolan did you know it was on the set of tenet that robert pattinson gifted nolan the book that this movie is is based on and i don't know if it's on the back of the book or in the dust jacket but there's a picture of oppenheimer and it was nolan looking at that picture and straight away he thought of murphy mm. 
Incredible. I wonder if it's that same picture that you know that picture, that, or maybe you don't know in Jurassic Park. Just because I like to talk about that <laughs> whenever I can. Yeah. On Nedry's computer, like he's got a, you know, he's got a picture of Oppenheimer for some reason. I mean, it, it references something about like a big bang and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, end of the world type stuff. But um, like, I wonder if that's the photo. Oh, I'm just throwing that out there. But you're right. Like, yeah, yeah, what he's doing playing Oppenheimer. I mean, again, like you, I haven't seen all of his things, so I don't know what credibility I have saying this, but to me, like, this is, again, from what I've seen, this is the best role that he's that he's done, his best performance so far. It, and he's done great stuff. Like, I've, I've you know, I was sort of watching him like, man, like he's a he's a creepy dude. Like, he can, he can play the parts that he's been given. This is, there's a subtlety to what he's bringing but there's also there's so many little details to the differences in the I guess the different how, how do we describe it like the different ages that he's playing or the different periods of time that he's in the moment in his life that he's playing or with when he's with a certain character you know like when he's with his wife when he's with you know Florence Pugh when he's when he's interacting with you know Robert Downey Jr. or, or the other scientists or you know like his friends from I want to say Oxford but might be wrong. Let's stick with that. Um, you know, like he has a different, and I guess that's that's very real. Like I'm sure like you react or act differently around certain people or you hold yourself in a different way. He's doing all of that stuff. He's not just playing a character. He's playing a person <laughs> to get real dramatic about it. He's doing it great. On top of that, like we said at the top, they're like um, an everlasting list of, ensemble cast members i mean obviously are some that some that feature a lot here we are but i mean to save us from literally reading through all of them uh is there anyone that you really want to dive into and say look they were fantastic or spend time with i'm Absolutely. assuming like the matt damon the, the robert downey jr oh yeah i mean they they're great i Florence mean that's a given twins, like um i mean their names are on the poster like they're <laughs> you know they're big players in this movie yeah but somebody who i was really impressed by Josh Hartnett. He's in this as yeah. Ernest Lawrence. Josh Hartnett in this is bloody fantastic. He's he popped up in a Guy Ritchie movie. What was that? Oh, he was in the most recent one, Operation Fortune with Jason Statham. But before that, he was also in uh, Wrath of Man. And he was good in that as well. I'm really enjoying him just popping up. At the moment, but I was getting he, he had pretty much disappeared for a while. He did right? for I mean, a little while. Yeah. Done a few small things, but I mean go back yeah, to the nineties, the noughties, yeah. you know, you'd had like the faculty, 40 days, 40 nights, Halloween H2O, you know, and he what was it was Josh Hartnett the heart throb. Like that and was, that's it. That, that's that essentially him, yeah. that's what Hollywood wanted him to be, but that's I don't think that's what he was interested in being. And it seems like all these years later, he's now finding roles that he actually wants to play. And in this, I was getting young Kevin Costner vibes. Maybe it was the waist jacket and the glasses. I don't know. But it was reminding me of like a young (laughs) Kevin Costner. But he was was really good in this. And when I was watching him, I was thinking, and of course it would completely depend on how the character's written and what they want to do with him. But I was thinking, I was like, he could be like a contender for a Bruce Wayne, Batman, kind of, you know, just because it's like he's got sort of the, he could pass for the playboy kind of element, but then he's also kind of got this stature. Kind of like a, a bad example, but I mean, like the like a Val Kilmer type look to him, like a young Val Kilmer. Yeah. Kind of thing going for. I don't know. I could. I'm I could fairly again, certain, right? I'm fairly certain he auditioned for Batman Begins. Oh, well, there's only one person to blame there, and that's that's Christopher Nolan. Uh, I know, but where's he? What's he, he been came, doing recently? He came good, <laughs> but saying that, Killian Murphy also auditioned for Batman Begins for Bruce Wayne Batman, but we know how that turned out. A lot of people want to be Batman, eh? But yeah, Josh Hartner in this, he (laughs) is, he's solid. Really enjoyed, ah, where is he? David, is it Cromaltz? Bernard from the Santa Claus? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I know I know he's done yeah. other things like um ten it's things hot. I hate about you is great. And that what did he say? I have a dick on my face, don't I? I have a dick on my face, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> from that was, movie um, though. Isn't, isn't that show numbers, wasn't it? Numbers, it was that's like, it. Yeah. But from Ten Things there About You, Nolan worked for Heath Ledger, worked for him, and of course Joseph Gordon Lovett, all three. From that movie have worked with Nolan, but I really liked what he was doing in this. He developed a quick friendship with Oppenheimer at the beginning of the movie, and he comes in and out of it. He's great. Alden Einrich. <laughs> I spent this whole movie being like, I know this guy, but I don't know who he he's is. So, he's so good. People just weren't willing to give him a go as young Han Solo because he wasn't Harrison Ford. But I've been back and watched Solo, a Star Wars story, and it's a lot of fun. I do like it. And ahead of that movie, he did Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie. Then right. he did, and then Solo came out, and he kind of he was still doing things, but went away for a little while. We recently saw him in Cocaine Bear, and is in this, and he's sharing a lot of screen time with Robert Downey Jr. and he's really good. I really enjoyed him. Can we talk about Robert Downey Jr. for a second? I know we're sort of talking about sort of the, the people that are popping up, but I mean, besides his MCU run, like. He hasn't had the most success. Like he's, he's he's doing fine, but you know there was a movie like like The Judge was pretty decent. But I mean, yeah, no one watched it. Let's be honest. He hasn't had a good. Guilty. Like, this is a. This is. A, this is. A... <laughs> no, I see what you did there. I see that, yep. was, that was good. Um, this is a big. This is a big thing for him. Like, and I mean, we'll talk about it in a, in a bit. But like, this movie is doing quite well so far. You know, opening weekend. His performance in this is like I mean, he's a man that he he knows how to get it done, but he's delivering here. And again, he gets all of those scenes, those black and white scenes where it's it's his point of view. He's essentially the secondary character where we're getting another point of view. Like he is having a lot of screen time, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of layers to his character. We eventually find out that he's there's a bit more to him and there's, you know, some other agendas and stuff at play um and he he gets to play in this little sandbox for a bit and you know give us a bit of what he can do best which is yeah. act, act honestly the screen like i'm really happy for for him and as an audience we're benefiting from him yes. given this type <laughs> of role because before iron man happened he did kiss kiss bang bang with Val Kilmer, a Shane Black movie. Fantastic. I love that movie. Favreau, uh, John Favreau had just, are you, you're not talking about what John Favreau, he'd done <laughs> Zathora, you know, that kind of Jumanji spin off movie. Didn't do too well at the box office. So John Favreau had that, and Danny Jr. had come off Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which again is a great film, but it wasn't a massive film. It's got a you know a following, but it wasn't huge. And then Iron Man happened, and it just seemed like that the role of Tony Stark just came so easy to him. It just seemed effortless. It's almost like yeah. he'd glance I mean, to the script, he'd say the lines, okay, that's it, we got it. On to the next scene. <laughs> so it, it seemed like he just breezed. And you know, credit where credit's due, he obviously would have put a lot into that role, and it probably really worked at making it look effortless but at the same time we had all those movies of him as iron man and they were a lot of fun and he's really good in those films and after iron man he did do little which wasn't great to be fair and he's kind of not really been doing too much you mentioned the judge so he's been doing some smaller films then this happens it really gets him to show his range. He's fantastic in this film. And I had no idea how big of a part he would play in this film. I knew he was in it. His name was on the poster. But he's really in this film. And as you say, you know, there's two perspectives 
in this film, and one of them is his character. Mm. A lot of screen time that we do get also with um, Emily Blunt. Now, you oh, know I'm yeah. a big fan. I mean, yes. I mean, yeah, but yeah, she's great. She's great. Um, again, I'm I'm gonna say like this is, and I'll admit I haven't seen every every movie that she's she's been in, but I have seen her in a lot of dramatic roles as well, and you know she's done pretty a pretty bang up role when she's doing it. But this, like, she's playing a a confused sort of a, a damaged character. Like, there's a, again a lot of depth to where she has to go with this character, you know, like staying with Oppenheimer, knowing about things that are going on, persevering, standing up and being like, no, we need to fight back. You need to stand up for yourself and fight. Like all of those like conflicting, like conflict moments, I guess, where you've, you've got her and, you know, like her, her character, Catherine and, and Robert, you know, like going at it and, and dealing with it. Again, a lot of just, really good scene chewing moments from her like great performance oh yeah she's excellent but i always struggle with crying babies when that baby's just been left <laughs> and she's at the table yeah, just drinking oh it's always a hard hard watch but with her and her performance like because it keeps cutting to and from the the scene you've got jason clark with roger rob there's the other guys in the room and Initially, they weren't going to have Catherine be questioned. And then they decide, okay, let's put her up there and see see how she goes. There was some concern because they noticed alcohol in a bag, but let's give her a go. And just that back and forth exchange. And then the look on Jason Clark's face when he realizes that, oh, I'm in a bit of trouble here because she actually knows what she's <laughs> talking about. And yeah. And she just took charge of that whole thing. That was excellent. How great is it? It's like for the a good chunk of the beginning of the movie in those scenes, you've just got her sitting behind Celia Murphy, just like just sitting there, just watching, not saying anything. She's there. Like <laughs> great day to be at work. Just, just today, just sit here. Obviously, she's doing more than just sitting there, but she's um, acting. Yeah, she's she's you know she's great. It's like that's an expensive person sitting on chair. <laughs> but that's this movie, though. Again, like there's there's recognizable people everywhere. Like at the beginning of the movie, you got James Darcy, another Marvel connection. He was in mm. Agent Car. <laughs> you go. He's like, I well, know him. Have, there'll there'll be a bunch of people to do something. Then, like you know, Alex Wolf would just walk past or. You know, you'll have a, you know, like Jack Quaid will just pop up as a character and then have a moment where he's a smartass about not wanting to wear sunnies. Oh, the windscreen will protect me. I was expecting that windscreen to blow in his yeah. face, to be honest. But, There's um, at least two two scenes where he's banging the drums or the bongos, whatever he's playing. Yeah, he's doing something like Dane DeHaan <laughs> is there doing something for I can't remember what his character was doing, but he was there. We could just keep going through the names. We've got like, Benny Safdie. Oh, who I didn't Benny recognize Safdie, at all. He's Edward Teller. Is interesting little character because yes, he's you know he's got the accent. Um, he's having a lot of like intellectual conversations, talking about the science of things, but then also talking about some of the political stuff and decisions and those ethical things. Um, oh, who's that? Like one of the very few females in this movie. Where is she? I've lost it. Olivia Thilby, who plays like one of the wives that has experience in doing something. So they kind of promote it into this role, but it's questionable in this military top secret. Everything has to be hush hush. And it's just like, Oh, you get this wife to do it. And you know, like she's essentially, I want to say like running rallies almost like she's got, you know, groups huddled together talking about things. And of course, Florence Pugh, like, I mean, I wish, and not just because, you know, she gets her bits out, but I do wish she was in this movie more. Like, she's always a delight to have. And it is, I've never seen a crappy performance from her, like, to be honest. Same. Yeah, and in I the, agree. In the very small, minimal screen time that she has, she's she's killing it. Oh, that's a bad pun there. But um, she's, <laughs> yeah. And again, like, a bit of a dark scene where she does kill herself, but that's okay. It's all right. We had fun with her while she lasted it. Yeah, it's... 
great performances just all around. Man. Yeah, like solid. It's a minor everybody. Character. Kenneth Branagh with an accent of course. again. <laughs> Tenet accent. Dunkirk yep. accent. His go-to. <laughs> he likes to try out different accents. I think in each one of his Nolan films that he appears in. Casey Affleck. I mean, the names just keep on coming. But Rami Malek as David L. Hill. Need to talk about him because he comes in and out of it without. I don't think he says anything for the first few scenes. Yeah, until, until the end, and it's like, oh wow, he was a quiet observer, and he's actually got yeah. a lot to say, and he's gunning after Strauss. Oh yeah, like it's take that Iron Man. <laughs> that's yeah. No, he's um again, and that's sort of the creative sort of wonder of this movie. Like you've got these characters floating around in the background. You might recognize them because of who they are as actors or something, but they're there, they're subtle, and then they just have this moment where they serve a purpose and it's like cool. <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite bizarre. Um look this movie is a yeah like the subject matter is very much it's this heavy thing. It's this it's this very pivotal point in humankind's history where it was a giant leap forward in science and discovery and things that we can do with stuff, <laughs> just to put it lightly. But at the same time, it was also a huge, dark, like terrible, awful moment in, in human history. It's hard to walk out of this movie and be like, man, I had a great time watching that. Like, it, <laughs> you can't help but walk out of this movie and be like, wow, people are shit. Like, the human race is just horrendous. That's this movie. Great performances. It'll make you feel like shit. The message at the end where, oh, we didn't even talk about bloody Einstein. How? And hey, do you know what? I thought Einstein was a lot older than... I didn't even know he existed in this time. That's how little it's I know. It's weird, isn't it? it? That was that was a takeaway yeah. that I had when you've got these people from history that you've heard about, but then when you find out or you see them sharing the same they, period of time, it's like, oh, I didn't realize they, they knew each other. And what? Like what? Crazy. Um, but the the message at the end, where it's sort of like like this moment in in time pretty much set the human well set planet earth on this course of you know and we might not even be at where the course is but on this path of you know self-destruction and have we created something for the better or for the worse and is this just the, the path of destruction that we're on and are we all doomed great movie like <laughs> happy feelings um yeah yeah That's yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people are talking about the Barbenheimer effect and there's a recommended order to watch those the two movies in and it is and absolutely <laughs> Barbie first and this you one's... reckon Barbie? No, no. People have said, well, I don't there? say. People are saying and it's how I watched well, I it. The I did... is Barbie would be the, like, after the doom and gloom, Barbie's your pick-me-up. No, I feel like yeah. Barbie is a good entree and this is a good main. That's how I I would see, you know, Barbie's it's lighter, you know, a bit fluffier. And then you do this as your main. I mean, hey, Barbenheimer. You know, Barbie's first. We put out Barbie first and then Absolutely. But honestly, the the night that I watched Oppenheimer, it was a Sunday night, and the cinema that I go to it is the busiest I have ever seen it. And that's people, you know, wearing pink. I guess what they're going to watch. It's people watching this movie, watching other movies. Like anything that's going to get people back to the cinema, I'm completely for. And then there's like things online and you've got like Tarantino. He's just been to watch. I think he watched Oppenheimer first and then Barbie second. But anyway, but there's like pictures of him like purchasing his tickets and just all this love at the moment for like watching things at the cinema. I'm really loving the Barbenheimer phenomenon is, and I hate saying phenomenon because I feel like I'm always saying it wrong. Um, 
it's very much a real thing. Like this was I, what started as just memes, and it's like, oh look, there's two movies coming out on the same day. They're very, very different. But in actual fact, these movies are very, very different, and not just from each other, from other movies that have just sort of come out. Like, I mean, we're not here to talk about Barbie, but like we did that. But I mean, like, Barbie is this surreal, elevated, different kind of comedy. It's about this toy that's 50 plus years old. It's weird. Like, what even is it? And then we've got this, which is this deep historical piece about this horrible time in, you know, humankind's existence, like that, you know, hundreds and thousands of people were killed as a result of things that are happening here. We're dealing with a character that is he a hero? Is he a villain? Could go either way. It, it's so complex. It's it's full on. Yet we've got this memified concept of, yeah, let's do a double feature. It's gotta be great. And I think, like you said, like the box office is benefit benefiting from it. And we're at an advantage of doing these um let's call it our barbenheimer review reviews um you know after the first weekend has passed like barbie has has dominated like a, i think it's like 130 140 i think i don't know if that's a domestic box, but either way it's it's exceeding projections even this which again i think it was domestic was meant to only be like 40 50 was projected it's hitting like 82 approaching like i think it was like 82 or something Phenomenon. Phenomenal. This phenomenon is phenomenal. This is one of the best box office weekends, like just box office as a whole weekends for years. Like definitely this year so far, but I mean, since the pandemic, this is one of the best weekends in box office. Uh, I read that. Probably it's it's the fourth highest of all time. Which is which is crazy, and that's you know that's following things like Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, and I think it was Star Wars: The Force Awakens was the other was the third one, maybe right. not in that order, okay. or something like that. And this is behind that, like these. It's are real. That, like again, like I'm crazy. at my this is a I'm at my local cinema, and I've never seen it as busy. Yeah, which it's, is so good. It's for, brilliant, honestly. It is brilliant, and you know what? With all the like. At this point in time, Hollywood is in a little bit of turmoil. There's lots of negativity. There's, you know, they're essentially at war, you know, like producers, studios, actors, writers. There's a lot of bad stuff sort of happening. It's great to see, you know, filmmakers and talent celebrating the other filmmakers and talent. You know, you like you said, you've got... Yeah, Tom Cruise with you know Mission Impossible. He's he's going there. You know he's like, I've got my ticket for Barbie. I've got my ticket for Oppenheimer. Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie. I've got my ticket for Mission Impossible. My ticket for Oppenheimer. I assume you know Cillian Murphy and uh, Christopher Nolan maybe did the same thing. Don't know. I haven't seen those photos. But <laughs> but you know like the, yeah. Christopher Nolan. He he's come out and said you know Barbie is a fantastic film. Go see it. And Absolutely. You know, like, Greta Gerwig. Yeah. You know. Oppenheimer is a fantastic film. Make sure you see it. it. This is a real thing, and the 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 cinema is is benefiting from it. And us as moviegoers, as fans, those who wouldn't necessarily go see either one of these movies or this movie in particular, like this would be the one I think lesser reach in terms. Even though it's got Christopher Nolan behind it and this all star cast, it's not it's not the movie for the everyman to be like, yeah, I'm gonna go see that, you know. Again, it's dreary, epic, uh, historical piece. But you've got people going. I even read like some people ended up seeing this because Barbie was sold out. So they're sitting there in the dark cinema wearing their pink outfit, watching Oppenheimer <laughs> because Yeah. You know, I go home. Like it's it's crazy. I've said it before, and I think it all the time, really. We are so fortunate living in Perth. We never because... have that problem of sold out cinemas, eh? Yeah. Yeah, we don't <laughs> have that problem. I mean, again, like more people than I've seen in a while at the movies now for these films, but we don't have that problem. I've got friends in the UK and you're hearing stories about in the US. People can't get into these movies. Sessions are sold out. They can't yeah. get oh, to I mean, see look, the movies. But we've, we... got, we've got regional towns 
here like uh, you know around in wa like around perth and stuff that maybe one cinema complex that's two, different two or three but for us course, though yeah. our experience like you know you can't move for cinemas and <laughs> we we don't have that trouble we'd honestly my problem was when, hey, when i listen because obviously it was busy sunday night it yeah. was busy you could barely move and i went up got my ticket for oppenheimer picked the seat that i wanted no bother like no and then you hear people like days in advance like they can't get a seat or can't get a screening yeah. i mean obviously i went to the 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 you know the perth premiere of uh of oppenheimer thanks for the invite uh Universal. Universal. Yes, it, it, I was going to say Warner Brothers, but no, just Universal, not Universal on behalf well, the, of Warner Brothers. That's yes, the thing Universal. in itself, though, isn't it? Like, this is the first film in a long time that Nolan hasn't done for Warner Brothers. Yeah, that's why it's this weird, is Universal. This was just Universal. Um, but yeah, when I went to go see Barbie, it was it was more a case of which cinema do I want to go to? Who's got cheaper tickets? Who's got the better screen? You know, is that one in <laughs> yeah. Dolby? Like. <laughs> What what works best with my mum babysitting my kids? Like, which that's what it came down to. It was it was fantastic. But yeah, this is it's a bizarre thing, and I think it just just a, one final point. Like all of this, like oh, we need to, you know, an an opposing movie will take away box office from my film, so I need to move it or have it in a different time. They can't come out together. And I guess we have seen that sort of happen before, but maybe. Maybe we sh- they should just be taking the risk sometimes and s- just celebrate films. And again, these are going after two different audiences, but at the same time, I think there's some sort of crazy synergy happening that is just whoo, hello sunshine. But you know, it's it's oh, no, rare. Yep. So I was going to say because I know we're, we're trying to wrap up, but it's rare. That I was close. I was close. You've said started off as a meme, and sometimes. Yep. You can have something that makes a lot of noise online, but it doesn't necessarily affect the real world. This has. Like I remember like back, what was it, 2006, Snakes on a Plane. There was a lot of online buzz about that movie. Samuel L. Jackson, he went back and he reshot some lines to factor in a couple of motherfuckers. And people were like, yeah, that's great. He didn't show at the box office, though. So sometimes people can be very vocal online, but you don't always see that knock-on effect, whereas Barbenheimer, absolutely. Like, people are turning out for these films, and you've said, you know, the box office so far, clearly more people are turning up for Barbie, but still. Oppenheimer, it's it shattered expectations, you know, as soon yeah. as it was released, is, opening weekend. This is the best opening for a Christopher Nolan film that doesn't have batman in it yeah pretty much like that which speaks so loud because his films are great we know that he's proven that but obviously you know his types of movies they usually have legs people don't rush out straight away they they're like oh i'll watch it next week oh what's that oh that christopher Nolan. yeah i'll see it they'll see it. it just they're it's not, usually not yeah. It's usually word of mouth. That's a different thing. Before the rating, because we will get there. One more Barbie connection. Surprising nobody, Killian Murphy was asked if he would be open to playing Ken in a Barbie sequel, which if he did would just blow everybody's <laughs> minds. And he said, "Sure, yeah. Let's read the it's script. Whatever. Let's uh, let's have a conversation." I can't wait to see Barbie. So there you go. So <laughs> that story moment... actually is man was offered more work and he was like, sure. <laughs> yes, I will I will take more. This work. is absolutely <laughs> a moment in time for us, for those two movies. But years from now, if they do Barbie 2 and Killian Murphy's in it, it'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the new CEO of, of Mattel. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Or maybe someone who wants to blow up Barbie. Oh, no, that's too dark. Let's stop talking Barbie. We've we've talked Barbie enough on that review, on it's this Barbie review. It's the it same is. Thing. You put these it two is. reviews together and it's an experience. <laughs> but if we're just for a moment going to talk Oppenheimer, if you're going to yes. rate this movie out of five. Oh. <laughs> 
this is a fantastic film. There's no question. I already said the the craft behind it, the production value. At times, the length can feel like, yeah, it's a three-hour thing because the movie is, well, you know, let's be pretty blunt about it. It's a pretty talky movie. It's a character study. It's all of that. You've got to, you've got to really be into it to be along for the ride. Um, you know, it is a, a dire period of time that we're looking at and this event which catastrophic like this just horrible and obviously so many questionable things was like was it a means to an end was it necessary was it not we're not here to debate that but you know it does raise those questions and it opens up those conversations again there's so much here in this movie it's an important story and the performances and stuff is driving all of that home like they're 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 doing it justice which is fantastic i always come back to when I'm giving my honest rating for something like what's the entertainment value that I got out of it? And did I enjoy this movie to the extent of, Hey, I can't wait to rush out to watch this again. I don't know if I will. Like, like I'm thinking maybe I will watch this again, but I honestly couldn't sit here hand on heart and say, yeah, when this comes out on you know, Blu-ray or ends up on streaming somewhere along the line, like I'll, I'll be first in line to to put it on and watch it. Like it'll be a case of, you know what? My interest has suddenly peaked again, and and now I'm, I'm I'll go back and revisit. It's one of those where I've I've watched it, I've experienced it. Like again, it's fantastic, but it's it's one of the things I can't sit here and say I had a fantastic time. I enjoyed the performances; they're fantastic. All of that, the sound, I've probably the best sound mixing in, uh, in one of Nolan's films because he does have a he does have a weird thing with that. And again, just we're just waiting for that that bomb is. is but again, there's so many things here to unwrap, like with, again, the Oppenheimer character. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? What does it all mean? The guilt, the struggles, handled really well. I'm going to give this very close to full marks. And I'm going to say this is a 4.5 out of 5 because it is fantastic. This could potentially be one of Nolan's best, but then it's sort of just missing some marks on that level of, was I fully entertained? Eh. <laughs> shave off half an hour come on we could have done this we could have wrapped this <laughs> up a bit much like my final rating here could have wrapped it up probably about two minutes ago but yeah 4.5 over to you yeah and no, i i agree with pretty much all that you just said there and that saves time yep <laughs> okay 4.5 also <laughs> wow no do you have yeah no honestly no 4.5 and it, it it is you know the things that you've said it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, yes, I was entertained. You know, the, it's interesting. I was based on real events. Like I say, there's um, there's a lot of, you know, difficult things that happen in this movie. And you're following this guy throughout his life, you know, the things that he did and, you know, the loss of life, the performances. You mentioned, you know, the sound. Like, I mean, this... And you said it in the beginning is an event. Like this movie really is an event, even without Barbenheimer. Like it, it's an event <laughs> within itself, and it's a really well-made film. Great performances. To watch it again, I'm not going to rush out and watch it again. When I finished Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, I could have just gone back in, got another ticket, sat down and watched yeah, it again. Yeah. But it's a different I kind of thing. So it's, and that's why when you're, you know, reviewing like a horror film, a comedy, a drama, you know, it's, you know, it they're, all, they're all different. I mean, yeah, it's in the spirit of Barbenheimer, and it's the last time I'll mention Barbie, like, and I don't want to go into it because in case, you know, the listener here has not heard our review yet, but I, I gave that a lower rating. I still think it's a phenomenal film but I gave it a lower rating. But at the same time, if someone was like, hey, want to go see Barbie? I probably wouldn't pay for it because I'm, you know, I'm cheap. But if someone was like, hey, I'll, I've got your ticket or I've got some free tickets, let's go see Barbie. I'll be like, hell yeah, let's go. Like, as soon as that movie was done, I was like, I could watch that again. Like, yeah. if, like if it just popped up on streaming next week, I'm pu- popping that back on. And but that's the thing, though. It it's fun. It feels I know, good. but... It's, it's, it's a different kind of thing. It's not like this movie exactly. tried to be that and failed. Like it's a different kind of thing. No. But, yeah, for everybody. And it's a better film out of the two. Yes. Like this is a better film. 
but am I again like am I racing out to watch it again? No, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, Some films it's, it's, like this one, it's like you've seen it, you've really enjoyed it, and it's like I've watched that now. Where other movies is sort of like that's going to be on rotation. I know, like yeah. Batman Begins, another Christopher Nolan film. I could just watch that over and over and over because it's that type of film. This isn't. But 4.5 from the two of us, very high scores. I want to take this moment to, and I guess I will sneakily mention Barbie again, but the past like week or so, or I guess past couple of weeks, like what do we have? Like Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Barbie, Oppenheimer. We are spoiled. We are just so spoiled. Like, but before what? that, though, Indiana Jones, Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse. I mean, I'm going to throw the flash in there. <laughs> you're you're breaking my point here. You're not really bringing my point home. But it's, it didn't do what they intended for it to do, but it was still a big movie that, that was put out within a short period of time. But, yeah, I feel like... Mission Impossible had just happened and everybody was talking about it until they weren't. And now everybody's talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Uh, it might have Top Gun legs. It might have that same thing, but I don't know. Enough of that. Okay. Well, that's it for our review of Oppenheimer. If you haven't already, check out our other shows, Rewind and Review and Sounds Like Comics. Each of those shows also have their own Facebook pages. If you missed it, be sure to check out our recent review of, of course, Barbie, and stay tuned for our upcoming review of Justice League War World. You've been listening to Luke. And you've been listening to Jason. We're the guys from that film, Stu. See you soon. <laughs>